Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You're listening to Featuring College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me today is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device it is that you use. Your College Hooper of the Week this week, Marcus Camby, former UMass Minuteman. I actually just came up with that. I usually prep the the College Hooper of the Week, but I was so focused. Taylor and I were both so focused on our guest that we have on the show that I just completely forgot about the college trooper of the week. So this isn't some random obscure guy, honestly, one of the best college basketball players uh, that, that we know of from UMass, especially Marcus Camby college trooper of the week. We're brought to you by Royal digital marketing, AKA RDM RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, make sure to contact them at Colin at Royal digital.co that's C O L I N at Royal digital.co. And make sure to check out the website at theaterincollegehoops.com. And you can always follow us at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Namel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. episode t huge episode my friend man that was Frank fun that, that was, was fun awesome. yeah i think that uh this in- interview is going to be uh 
definitely one of our uh, listeners' favorites. I think that's e- easy, easy to say because I know it was one of our favorites. Uh, we probably could have had a five-hour interview um, with our with our upcoming guest here. So yeah, pretty pretty cool. This was a very proud moment for us. I think. Think about honestly where we started. I'm not trying to kiss our own ass here, but I, I, I I'm not going to be humble for this particular episode because. We started this uh, about 150, 151 episodes ago. I was still in Phoenix. We were finagling around with different equipment. It was very bare bones. It still is pretty bare bones. But it should be noted, Frank Martin's uh, director of communications reached out to you, Taylor. Well done on brokering this. But hug for us, man. I'm proud. And honestly, Frank Martin was everything that I, I could have expected. He even somehow exceeded expectations. The guy, the guy is exactly who, who I thought he would be. Well, not to be too poetic about this, but um, you know, one of the last uh, lines that he gave us uh, in relation to, you know, we asked him about how he started off as a high school coach and how he got to a point where he is now, obviously a high major D one coach at several institutions. He said, the number one piece of advice to those high school coaches is don't chase jobs. And I could, I think that applies to us here at the intercollege hoops as well. We didn't, we knew that if we just kept doing this, that, you know, the guests would continue to get better. And I'm, I'm sure we will continue to get more guests as well, but this is definitely one of those moments where it's like, yeah, this is why you do 150 of these. It's 110 degrees outside of my house right now. Nobody's talking about college basketball, right? But this is why you continue to do this because at some point you will get guests like Frank Martin and so on. So yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Incredibly well put. I'm, I'm working with two wordsmiths over here, Frank Martin and Taylor Dammel. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and get to our interview with the head man, the head coach, the head honcho at the University of Massachusetts, Frank Martin. It's important that I got a fresh cup of coffee in my hand because I got to match the energy of our next guest, a man who needs no introduction, but damn it, he deserves one. So I'm going to give him an introduction. He's a man that's a final four head coach, a man who's been a coach for 15 years. He's a Jim Phelan award winner and a big 12 coach of the year but most importantly he's a man that's leading the resurgence for the university of massachusetts at amherst minutemen basketball program we are humbled honored and so fortunate to welcome head coach frank martin frank how you doing sir man i'm (laughs) i live a dream every day i uh uh you know you would have told me 20 years ago that i'm gonna be a division one head basketball coach and 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 be as lucky as I've been to to be around the great players that I've been a part of, and 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 to win the amount of games that we've won, and and to to be you know whether it's at K State, the five winningest years in the history of the school, or uh, you know if you eliminate the COVID year, uh, which you don't have to. I mean, it's uh, you know it's our deal. Um, uh, but if you eliminate the COVID year, the six years prior to COVID and the year after COVID, uh, it's the winningest seven-year period at South Carolina since the early 70s and um, and finished uh, in the top five of the SEC. Uh, yeah, let me, I'm doing the math off the top of my head, so if I'm wrong, don't kind of like – you Feel know, free to you, embellish if you want. No, no, no. You know that everybody BSs these days, man. I, you know, I'm one of the old-fashioned dudes that still takes pride on saying the truth every once in a while. 
Um, I, about my last seven years, five times we finished five, five or six, uh, might be six in the top five in the SEC. So it's a, uh, uh, you'd have told me that 15 years ago, man, that, that that's the right I was going to be on. I'd probably be serving roaming coach for a living now, rather than still chasing people around to try and rotate defensively. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, an incredible level of success. I'm so glad you brought up your time at Kansas State. I'm so glad you brought up your time at South Carolina. Uh, obviously, the the goal of this interview is to really raise awareness and pick your brain about what's to come for UMass. We have a huge UMass contingent, and so we're excited to hear about what's been going on in Amherst, especially this offseason and this upcoming season. But I do want to start at K-State and South Carolina, first with K-State because – There are two pretty pivotal moments in uh, me really falling in love with the game of college basketball. And one of them was March 25th, 2010 in Salt Lake City. You know exactly what I'm talking about there, coach. You don't? I know. I know. Okay. Okay. Kansas State, Xavier, double overtime game. Two Holloway and Jordan Crawford versus Dennis Clemente. Jacob Pullen, can you take us back to that that game, Frank? What was going through your mind, the emotions? What a roller coaster. And, of course, we had Gus on the call. I was getting ready to say, I only thing that I was upset about that game is that I couldn't hear Gus making the calls for all those plays those two teams made coming down the stretch. I mean, uh, I mean, I when I went back and watched – because I – see, when the season ends, I don't go back and watch last year's team anymore. Uh, because every team's different. So when the season ends, I, I really, I've never watched NCAA tournament games or the games I've coached in. But that game some years later was so special that, that I said, you know what, I, I need to go watch that game just because that emotion. And uh, when I heard Gus Johnson make it, the, he's in shape. I'm like, holy cow, why am I on the sideline? I was dying on the sideline. I'd rather be watching this on TV. But um uh, it's one of those great NCAA tournament games. I mean, there's many like that, that, uh, that, that you can go back and say, wow. And uh, for me to have been a part of that game um, uh, was unbelievable. It's uh, talk about two teams with really good players with established, you know, we had Xavier had been good for a while. We had established a winning culture. At, uh, by the way, back then you can still establish a culture. Culture's out the window now. Now it's I'm the culture. <laughs> I'm the only guy that's a mainstay year in and year out. Everyone else kind of comes and goes. But back then we can establish a culture, and we had created a winning culture. And uh, just one of those magical uh, March moments that uh, that we've all all of us that are part of this game so lucky to be a part of sometimes. So that year, you guys ended up going to the Elite Eight, I believe. And so when you get even just one or two rounds further in the tournament, I mean, does that, speaking of culture, how much does that elevate your culture saying, oh, last year we were an Elite Eight team? Uh, how do you build off that going forward? Yeah, I mean, those those games, uh, basically, with all due respect, that gives you guys something to talk about my team into next year. Um, internally it's over, you know, it's over. All that does is that it gives, it gives your players confidence that yes, we can do this. And, uh, but the amount of work that goes in that off season during the spring, during the summer, and then the preseason for the following year, um, doesn't change. And, uh, 
and, and every team is different. Every team has to manage uh, a certain dynamic a little bit differently. And um, uh, But what it does is it creates a sense of internal confidence that the way you're doing things works. Uh, but then at the end of the day, I, I still got to hold 20, 18, 19, 20-year-olds accountable uh, and, uh, and, and connect with them on a yearly basis uh, to make sure that, uh, uh, that, that we can keep, keep the ship afloat and keep it headed in the right direction. Uh, uh, but uh, every, every, every season is different. I don't care if you return. Like, a uh, quick example, I'm not going to keep talking here forever. Please um, do. Please do, Frank. Uh, well, it's it's uh, when you ask me about my players, man, I can talk forever and ever and ever. And uh, um, that team, we basically only lost two players off that Elite Eight team, and Denny Clemente and Luis Colon. Uh, but they were our team leaders. And, and we also lost a young man by the name of Chris Merriweather, who was came in as a walk-on and um, and if you remember that game, he's the one that I told the team to foul. I made the Cardinal. You, you learn a lot as a coach. You know, I, I, I learned after that game, if I'm going to foul up three, make sure I tell the referee before we take the court. And I didn't. And we fouled on the half court line and uh, referee didn't call it. And then Chris comes running over and fouls 2-2. And, and he knew it was deeper on the court. So he knew what was coming and he kind of jacks up some crazy shot and referee called three shot foul. And, uh, but Chris was an integral part of that team. So um, we, that's all we lost. We returned everybody and had a heck of a signing class. And we're preseason number three in the country the following year. Well, that team was two and six or two, something like that in big 12 play. Uh, so every every team's different, man. Even though you return a lot of your parts uh, internally, um, being in those games gave us confidence that when we were in that hole that next year, we didn't quit on each other. We kept working and then ended up being a five seed in the NCAA tournament. But it's an um, uh, incredible game, incredible time. Yeah, and one of the things we admire the most about you, Coach, is not only that you're successful in in all of your stops, but you lay the foundation. When we think of Kansas State basketball, we think of you, we even think of Huggy Bear, we think of Bruce Weber. All of you guys really helped that. And, of course, your Final Four run at South Carolina. That's the second uh, big pivotal moment that I'm talking about, amongst others, of course. But that South Carolina run to the Final Four, one of the most magical runs we've seen as fans. and and root to doing that, you not only made Darius Rucker cry on the sidelines, which was incredible, uh, but you also beat an incredibly stacked Duke team. Uh, I believe in the Sweet 16. I could be wrong. Maybe it was round of 32, but they had Luke Kennard and an all-pro in Jason Tatum. What made that Gamecock team so special, Coach? I mean, you just mentioned you were trying to be nice, I guess. Uh, they had seven pros on that team. Grayson Allen, Frank Jackson. I mean, it just keep going. It was one after the other. And uh, for us to, to figure out a way to win that game said a lot about not not uh, trying to diminish Duke. On the contrary, said a lot about the guys in our program and the respect they had for our uniform and for blame, believing in each other. And, 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 and uh, you know, and that, that game resembled what our program had become about at the time. Um, you know, we, we had really good players, but for whatever reason, we – I, I'm not a very good uh, self-promoter. I, I, I stink at that. I, 
And you know what? When they put me, good Lord comes calling and they put me down in the ground and they let me come through another life again. I'm not going to be a self-promoter because it's not about me. And I don't need to promote what I do and what I accomplish. The people don't know me. Um, so I, I'm not good at it. And it's one of those deals that I, I, I hope I never change there. I'm at this, not my deal. You know, I don't, I don't criticize those guys as self-promote. I just, it's just not my deal. And it's, uh, um, but our team, because of those reasons, probably never gets the credit it deserves for the kind of players that we have. Um, you know, Chris Silva is an NBA guy. Mike Coates are, he's an NBA guy. We never got credit for signing those guys. You know, Sanderis Thornwell, NBA guy, uh, you know, PJ Dozier, McDonald All American. We had good players too now. And and when when you when you see that team as the guys that, you know, we never got the the publicity for the kind of players that we had recruited. And and that's on me because I'm not a again, I'm not trying to promote individuality. Um, but those guys stuck together and they all came to our program in a time where we were building, we weren't established. And if you think about that game, uh, we're down, we're down and Duke's doing what good players do. They're making hard shots and hard shots and they're trying to, to break our will. Um, and, uh, our guys didn't flinch, man. Our guys didn't flinch. I, and I, I knew our team by then. I, I say this all the time. You think back to this early in the second half. Uh, we 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 start getting stops. They start missing, and now we're getting. I thought in the first half we got some great looks. We we're just a little tight and just didn't make them. We come out the second half. We start making and we make, and I'm starting to say, all right, here we come, and and we get a breakaway dunk, and they call timeout, and um, so we get a stop, and I make a call for a lob pass. I I call a lob play against their zone because they had gone zone because they were struggling to defend us. And um, I called that play maybe four times all year. I called it another dozen times in practice. We were old for the year, not in scoring and executing. Like did it result in a turnover those first three times? Yeah, I'm just telling you, but it goes back to players, you know, in the the leadership. And you hear coaches all the time say, when your players are leading, then you got a really good team. Well, you know, everyone, th- what does that exactly mean? Well, what that means is, is you're in that moment. And as a coach, you want to run a certain play. And one of your guys says, no, 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 run this. I'm telling you, we're going to get it. That was Thornwell during that timeout. He said, run. I'm like, are you kidding me, bro? We ain't complete that playoff. He goes, let's run it. I'm telling you, we're going to get it. I said, okay, run the play. And we ran it. We executed. Sin made the pass. Chris dunks the ball, and and we just took off from there. And that was a special moment of that game. But that that's that game resembled a lot of what our program had been built on, uh, and uh, what we always relied upon in our time in South Carolina. So that run was also pretty cool because that game you're referencing, your first two rounds were in South Carolina in Greenville. Mm-hmm. Then you got to go to the, the world's most famous arena at MSG. Mm-hmm. Then you, yeah, then you head to the final four, a final four that I was at, and might I say, actively rooting for South Carolina at that final four. Yeah. So, um, was there any point, you know, on that run, whether it be at MSG or when you got here? I'm, I live in Phoenix. So, when you got here to Phoenix and you could just kind of looked around, was there ever a point where you're like, this is it? This is, I've made it to essentially what is the pinnacle of this sport that I have dedicated my life to? Well, that's, uh, um, the year before, 
we set a school record for wins. Um, we, we finished uh, 12 and six, I think, or 11 and seven in conference play. We were 15 and 0 in non-league play and we got left out. I don't, I, I don't want to hear from, well, uh, I, I've been in the NCAA tournament enough as a coach. I know when your team belongs and when you don't, we got left out. It's, the, it's one of the, not the only one, but one of the, 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 the worst uh, decisions made uh, when that team that year got left out, but it was meant to, you know, just, we didn't get picked. We didn't earn our way in from a winning your conference championship. So when you leave it up to people, it's, uh, you can say the same about boxing. There's some guys that didn't knock out the opponent and they left it to the judges cards and the judges saw it differently than other people. And it is what it is. So uh, those players, Thornwell, Notice, Mackey, Chris, all those guys, I was dragging after that team got left out because I hurt for my team. I didn't hurt for South Carolina. I didn't hurt for Frank. I hurt for Michael Carrera, Mendogas, and Limonis, and those guys that came in and helped us build that program that we, we, we can have those kind of successes and get left out. Well, it's like a week after we got dropped off, and I was still kind of down. And Dornwell came in and said, yo, when we get into work. And I was like, like, Man, I need – he said He said to me, this is a kid, you know, or a young man by the time, you know, he wasn't 17 anymore. He says to me, yo, I love what we did. wasn't good enough. And I said, I'll call you later, tell you what time we're going. And, and I, I realized what he said had so much substance to it. You know, it wasn't just noise. And so I scheduled workouts starting the next day, and away we went. And then, then that team – obviously makes the run that it made. And uh, uh, you referenced Darius Rucker earlier. And, and that's the moment that I realized, uh, I don't know if fate is the right word, but you got to understand Frank McGuire, South Carolina, back in the day, it was all with guys from New York City. They were all in attendance that day. Um, it's Madison Square Garden. My wife she's a New Yorker. Her whole family's in New York. My sister moved to New York in 1988 and never came back. Her and her husband and their families in New York. It is the Mecca of basketball at Madison Square Garden. And I am on the court realizing that we, we got the chance to go to a final four after 2010 coming so close and not kind of make, not, not kind of, we didn't make it. Butler went and we got beat by two or three or something like that. And, and I'm a Sinatra guy and my guy, old blue eyes is singing New York, New York, Darius Rucker's snot is on my left chest. My wife's tears are on my right chest and my mother's tears are on the right in the middle of my chest. And I'm, 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 you know, I'm sitting there saying, are you kidding me, man? I, I mean, like, how am I on this ride, man? And it's, uh, it never ends. You know, I, you go back to my high school days, eight state championships. And, 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 you know, you, like I said, you go to K state and, you know, Poland Clemente, all those guys, the, the, the incredible Magruder, you know, Curtis Kelly, Jamar Samuels, just keep going through those guys that they believed in me to come play for us in Manhattan, Kansas. These guys all from different parts of the East coast. And they, they, they were like, no, nah, man, we believe in you. And that when they get there, they stick with me and believe in me. And then 
We go to South Carolina, who hasn't won a NCAA tournament game since 1972 or something like that. Um, and, and, you know, won double-figure conference games in its history four times. And, and, and we get all those players that I mentioned to South Carolina to come to South Carolina and, and, and help us set school records for wins. We, we won double-figure games six times. Uh, where the school had only done it four times in its history. And we put six times in our time there. We go to a Final Four, which is, like, just ridiculous, man, uh, the, the, to be able to part of something like that. So that moment right there with all that snot and tears on my shirt and um, Sinatra, it just – I get chills talking about it, man, because it's uh, um, uh, just an incredible moment. Yeah, I I, I remember – the moment when I saw Darius crying and obviously I, I, I said it in jest, but that means a ton to him. I think he's from Columbia, South Carolina, and you could truly see what this run meant and you being the architect. What an incredible story that was. Uh, I'm going to see if I can pull up that clip after, after you punch your ticket to the final four, but let's turn our focus now to you, Matt. Frank yeah. in the off season. Okay. Take me into the whiteboard. It may be a literal whiteboard, a figurative whiteboard. You got the line down the middle. On the left side, you got pros. Right side, you got cons. Take us through the decision-making process in your head when you took this job. Uh, Ryan Bamford um, called me. I think I got fired on a Monday, if I remember correctly. I, it's uh, uh, and He called me on Wednesday. And uh, wanted to meet with me, and I, I, I said, Ryan, I'm not, I'm not in the right space right now to be meeting with anybody. I, I people talk all the time about when you get fired. Oh, he's got a contract. They owe him all this money. Blah blah blah. Let me let me explain something to anyone that doesn't understand this. Okay, there's a whole lot of people that I'm responsible for. You know, my my GAs, my strength coach, my operations, my 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 assistant coaches, my players, their families. I, I, I take on unbelievable. Forget me and my family. I take on unbelievable. And I shouldn't say I. Anyone has my job. Unbelievable responsibility in a lot of people's lives. And when when you get fired, um, you feel like you let a lot of people down. And people that trusted in their futures with your guidance and your leadership. And when you get fired, that means change is coming for a whole lot of people. And, and that's a difficult moment to handle as a human being. I, I don't care how much money they pay you. That does not heal those wounds. And um, so, you know, I, I was down. I, 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 you know, my ops guy, my strength guy now, we've been together for 18 years. We've seen our children born. We've seen our children grow up to become college students. So um, I wasn't ready to talk. I was doing television for CBS or Turner. I don't remember what channel that weekend. And um, I went down there to do television and, and the people there in the studio, uh, you know, off air uh, were incredible. You know, just Candace Parker, Seth Davis, all them, uh, some of the NBA guys that are in the same studio. So you're all hanging out. Um, uh, uh, you know, during your time off uh, the dead time, you know, you're all hanging out in the same waiting room. And uh, every every one of those folks uh, just uh, they were uplifting. Uh, you know, I, I, I had outsiders perspective like, yo, Frank, don't ever change, man. It's, uh, you know, what you do for people special. And so you hear all this. And uh, I've always said I don't work to please people that don't know me. I work to 
to, you know, to make sure I do my part to empower the people that do believe in me, whether it's the people that hire me, the wife that married me, the children that look at me as their dad, or the people that believe in me to come work or play for me and with me. And um, that's what I worry about. So, uh, so that's where my focus has always been. But when I, you start hearing all these positive comments from people that are actually a part of that journey, just in a different place, it, it, it makes you feel like, okay, maybe what you're doing is right, even though some folks felt it wasn't right. And, um, uh, and then Ryan called me again. I, you know, he told me he would on that following Monday, and I was better prepared uh, to have conversation. And I met with him, and uh, he got me excited, man. He, he, uh, uh, he, he, he went about it the right way. He, uh, for lack of better words, he recruited me, uh, let me know that, to build this place the way he wanted it built, I was the man to do it. And, um, and from that point on, uh, it was just a matter of making sure my family was in the right space. Um, you know, my, my oldest son who ended up transferring, he's going to play four years as a graduate student. Um, you know, he's older. Uh, he, he's, he knew change was coming, um, you know, because he was at that stage of his life. But, you know, my daughter is, was, is just started her senior year in high school. Uh, uprooting her at that stage of her life, uh, you know, was it the right thing to do? Fair, not fair. I, I didn't know those answers at the time. I needed to have that conversation with her and, you know, she was a champ the way she handled it. My wife, uh, we've been there 10 years, man. You know, when, when, when you move as a coach, you're, you're still getting on the plane and you're still getting on a car and you're going to different gyms to recruit people. And then you come back and you're coaching in a gym uh, the wives and kids, man, I, I moved when I was a child 12 times during my school years in Miami. They were all within the city of Miami, but you're in a new school every year. And that's not fun, man. That, that's that's complicated. That that that. Uh, um, and, and, you know, after 10 years in one place, a uh, difficult moment for my family uh, to 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 make the adjustment. But they were unbelievable. Like they've been my my whole life. Uh uh, incredibly supportive and, and excited. My wife was uh, a 8-10 champion here at UMass in track and field. Uh, she was a record holder in the, in the A-10, I believe. I, you know, I, um, I don't know if this is what she ever dreamt of coming back to where she, uh, she was a, a part of, but, um, you know, but we made the decision to do it. And, and, you know, I, I, I know the UMass that I used to watch as a high school coach, through television. And, and I know the power that came through the TV set from home court environment to the kind of basketball. And then in 2000, I got into college basketball. And when you get into college basketball, you kind of start worrying about your own team and the league you're in. So you don't really watch as much, uh, you know, other places. And uh, so I hadn't paid a lot of attention to UMass basketball over the last 20 years, but uh, but I know what my eyes used to see back in the nineties. I know what I felt coming through that television set. And, uh, so th that's the vision I've got at UMass basketball. And, uh, I, 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 can we do it? I got no idea, but like I told people the other day, I said this when I got hired at K-State, I said it when I got hired to South Carolina and I'm going to say it now, you know, there's only two options here. We're either going to build this the right way. And we're going to have a great, great time. And we're going to love watching our teams play. Or they're going to put me in one of them jackets and lock me up in one of those rooms with no windows. It's, it's, it, there's no option C here. It's one or the other.
So when you get into building or rebuilding a program or however you want to phrase that, obviously you've done this in several stops now. What's that process like? Did first day on the job? So after that Monday, is that Tuesday? Are you already meeting the players, figuring out who the assistant coaches are or are not going to be? Are you making calls to already start scheduling games for the future? What you know, walk us through the process of what it's like to to take over a new program. Yeah, all the above. But before I can worry about everything on the outside, I got to worry about what's going on on the inside. And, um, uh, you know, Matt McCall, who I replaced, I've known Matt forever. He's one of the great people in this business. And Matt's going to, you know, he Matt's going to be a head coach again, and he's going to have an incredible uh, – uh, the experience here is going to – has better prepared him for that next one. And he's going to be unbelievably successful uh, uh, when he gets back on that saddle. Um, you know, Matt, Matt left a lot of very good stuff in place here, a lot of structure, a lot of attention to detail. Um, they got that close to turning the corner. And unfortunately, that's how this business works. You get that close to, to, to turning it. And sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. And I, I understand that real clear. I got that close at K-State and we turned it. I got that close to South Carolina and we turned it. Uh, am I going to be able to do it here? I don't know, but I'm excited for what we got in place. And uh, the first thing that I had to do was understand the players, understand the internal um, uh, uh, things that were in place and then start. I, I, I've, it's a, it's kind of a complicated issue. A, I have to adapt to the UMass culture on campus in the athletic department. They don't need to adapt to me. But then I walk in, and then everyone that's in basketball now has to adapt to my culture. And, and I have to understand the culture of the people that I answer to to make sure that I adapt my culture to fit their model. But then everyone else has to start adapting to my culture. And, and within basketball. And that's, uh, that's, that's where change comes into play. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I say this with all due respect. Uh, I'm not a fan of the transfer and play right away rule, but I don't sit around and complain either. It, it's uh, I make, I made my voices and my opinions known and the NABC board, I've made them known in the sec office. I've made them known in the Atlantic 10 offices now. But I'm not a rule maker and I'm not a crybaby. Uh, you know, it's it, if the rules are put in place, that this is the way we're going, then that's the way we're going. And we have to learn, adapt and move forward. You know, everyone talks about change of, of um, uh, college athletics. Nick Saban, everyone talks about his greatness as a coach and the winning and all that stuff. He had a powerful line back in the spring. He said the dinosaurs did not adapt. Look what happened to them. I, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I've been around for 56 years. I have not seen a dinosaur take a deep breath in my 56 years. But I've seen a lot of movies about what they used to do back in the day. So I, I don't want to be one of them statues yet. I, I, I've got some breathing to do. And, um, you know, so it's, uh, um, uh, it, it's because of that transfer rule. It's, it, it allowed us to, uh, to, to, to put together a roster uh, for this coming year uh, with some older guys and some younger guys. And, uh, but, but everything starts internally, uh, hiring your right staff. I was lucky. I had guys that came with me from South Carolina. Uh, so they, they, I can, 
get things in place here, and then I can get out to start building the program from the outside. But first we had to build, or, or not build, because you're always building, but we had to create a vision on the inside first. Uh, so everyone in that locker room understood uh, the do's and the don'ts moving forward. Uh, so we can make whatever adjustments, which I never say publicly because it's disrespectful to the past players and the present players. If they ever want to speak on it, that's their journey. That's their, that's on them. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, I you know, I, I speak about things I do that pertain to me. I rarely speak about uh, the good and the bad of, uh, 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 you know, that happens behind the scenes and respect the players. But, uh, um, uh, but we, we've been able to to give that attention and, and give people hope, man. It's uh, um, I'm a fan too. Sometimes we forget that we, you know, we coaches, you know, we get wrapped up with our teams and, and, and it's our journey. We understand it better than anybody that's not in the, on the saddle. It don't mean other people can't have opinions or can't be good coaches, but those of us that are on the saddle, we understand what the coaching life is better than most people that are not in it. Um, doesn't make us better. We just understand it. And, and um, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with what we've put in place to this point and the vision that we've created internally uh, within our locker room. And, and now as a fan, like I'm a Dolphins fan. I, you, know what, you know what they've done here? in the last six months, they've given me hope. And because they've given me hope, I've gotten reeled in again. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it starts And my wife's the biggest Patriots fan of all time. So for the last 20 years, I've sat on a couch on Sundays and been miserable because my dolphins lose and the Patriots destroy everybody. So it's, uh, uh, you know, I, but they've given me hope. And because I got hope as a fan, I, I've kind of I'm wearing my dolphin shirt inside my house, like real proudly these days. Um, yeah, but it's but that's what I've tried to do. Give our fans hope man, that, that it's going to be OK, that that, I, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a big dude. I'm, I'm getting too damn big these days. So I <laughs> I I, I, uh, I, I, I kind of life was a lot easier on my knees and hips when I was a little little smaller. But um, I got to give people hope that that these problems, these difficulties can land on my shoulders and, and we're going to hold this thing up and, and we're going to be okay. Like I had mentioned, we have a pretty big UMass contingent. I have a lot of very close friends who have said exactly that, that they're super hopeful now that you're very endearing. You have this spirit about you that is, very, that is so attractive to them. I will say, I think the only drawback to you, maybe coach Martin is that you are a Dolphins fan. If you wear that Dolphins jersey around, <laughs> I'd be, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're a grown man who can take on anyone, but just be careful wearing that Dolphins jersey around Massachusetts, my man. Um, now, let, me, let me, let me say something though. I'm a huge Bill Belichick fan, huge yeah. Bill Belichick fan. So I, 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 uh, uh, don't, I, I don't root against the Patriots. I just, when you're, you see growing up, I grew up across the street from the orange bowl. And growing up during the Steve Grogan days, the Dolphins used to beat the Patriots like it was going out of style. So I, I'm used to like just Patriots, Jets, irrelevant. <laughs> like growing up. And then for the last 20 years, it's been, I don't want to use the wrong words here, could you know, but you know what, whooping, you know, <laughs> let it fly, <laughs> coach. <laughs> oh my God, man, it's been brutal. But, 
but I got hope again, and I hope I'm doing the same for you, Mass fans. You absolutely are. So, Coach, let me put my corporate hat on here for a second. In any interview that I take, all right, whenever the employer asks me, do you have any questions for us, I always hit them with, "What does? how do you define success, right? How do you define success in this role? So I want to ask you that same thing, as corny as I sound. It's a real question that I think a lot of people are curious about because you had mentioned those two options going into next year. But how does how do you define success for this upcoming campaign at UMass? Uh, I'm gonna give you an example with a player, um, which is Michael Beasley. You know, the whole world has tried to judge him as a bust, a failure, because he didn't live up to the basketball uh, uh, commentary that was created uh, about him by people that knew very little about him. Um, my, my journey uh, for success has nothing to do with wins and losses. I, the day I'm done uh, coaching, they can talk about my wins and losses and they can say he was a bum, he was this, he was that, you know, he was dumb. I, I hated the kind of basketball they play, whatever. And, you know, maybe we end up winning a national championship. I, that's the, I got that itch, man. I've had that itch. You know, 16 years as a high school coach, we played for the state championship 11 times, won eight of them. Um, you know, I get to college basketball. We flipped Northeastern uh, from from a school that was losing to a school that won 24 games. I, uh, you know, go to Cincinnati with hugs and the rest is history. I mean, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, which, by the way, he's getting inducted this week and I can't be there. Can't wait to be there with him. Uh can't think of a more deserving human being to be celebrated for, for all the good he does for people. Um, uh, but success to me is someone like Michael Beasley, that as an 18 year old, he was trying to figure out who he was. And now as a 30 year old, even though he maybe hasn't had the basketball success that people, you know, some people get celebrated for their on court success. And we know very little about their off court, good or bad. Michael is a un, is an unbelievable father. Uh, nothing drives him more than being a father to his children. That to me is success. Watching Jacob Poland yesterday, I was you know. I'm, by the way, I've gotten on social media again. I I, it, I had to because of recruiting and promoting and all that. But I'm not a big social media person. But I, I saw Jacob put something about you know on, on Twitter yesterday that um, you know it took him. Uh, two and a half hours to teach his daughter how to ride a bike, you know, and that's what life's all about, man. I, I mean, he's got the, the Euro league record, the Euro league, which is the second best professional basketball league in the world. He's got the Euro league work record for most three pointers made in the game. I mean, you know, and, and, and what drives me is not that is the man that he has become watching Curtis Kelly, who came to me at K state and, and, and just, he was struggling to put two good days in a row. And, and now he's a graduate assistant that's going to have, after a 10-year playing career with a college degree, back in his alma mater, uh, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's, that to me it was success. Is. Success, it, it, if, if our success is, is if, if my – I'm going to speak about me. I don't want to speak about other people. If at the end of the day – uh, when it's all said and done, people speak about my success directly tied to wins and losses. I lived a very shallow and boring life. Uh, and anyone that knows me, 
knows I'm not boring and I'm not shallow. And uh, so I, I'm, I, I want a lot more depth in what I do. Um, and uh, I, I, I'd rather sit on that rocking chair and serve rum and cokes uh, for the last 10 years that they allow me to be around here and know that my former players are responsible men and successful in society and uplifting other people's lives than having people speak about my career record. I love it. I love it. Um, so you've talked a little bit about joining social media or getting back on social media, you know, the tr- new rules with the transfer, transfer portal, uh, things of that nature. How do you, in today's landscape of college basketball, help the players deal with NIL stuff, transfer portals? Because I'm sure coaches are learning at the same rate that the players are because these rules are, are all pretty new. How do you help players navigate all of this new stuff that's going on in college basketball? Yeah, I say it all the time when I when I when I get brought in for leadership speaks or commentary or questions and um, uh, you know we we all talk about well why does Frank still yell at people and they still listen to him and uh, number one is because I get to understand them and who they are I don't try to make people learn the way I learned people learn differently now. But my values and those values, regardless of how you learn, it's do we uplift others by sharing good values with them and instilling good values in them? And that's that's the mission. And I have to learn how young people learn. If not, I become a dinosaur. And then I be, you know, young kids that we used to. I tell our team all the time when I was a sophomore in high school. The, the, the high school coach who was the winningest coach in the history of the state of Florida, he'd say left-handed layups and you shoot left-handed layups for 20 minutes. And if the rebounding line didn't start on the half court line, whoever skipped the line or whatever had to come over. He was sitting in a chair on the half court line. You come over and he'd paddle you in front of everybody. And then you shot a left-handed layup and you didn't finger roll it. You jumped off your right foot. You shot the basketball and you put it on the glass before it went in. If you did anything wrong, you went over there and you got paddled. And, and that's how I learned. That doesn't mean that's how everyone else should learn. But that's that was my – I tell people, that was our ADD medicine back then. We didn't need pills or whatever. That was – I learned real quick. I better listen and do what I'm told or I'm, I'm taking one. And I didn't want nothing to do with that paddle. Uh, but uh, but it, it's uh, – you, you have to understand the life of 18-year-olds. I've got children too, as a dad, social media is not going away. It, I didn't, I didn't grow up with social media. I don't need that attention. I don't crave social media attention. I'm not trying to create a career by being a social media disruptor. Uh, It's not what I'm trying to do. And what I try to tell our players is if you want to be a successful athlete, being a social media disruptor, is a completely different entity. It's two different worlds. Entertainers can be social media disruptors because they go hand in hand. As an athlete, you think the players in the locker room really care about what your opinions are on social media? No, they want to know, are you coming in here and helping us win games? Because all of us, our success depends on us winning and losing games. And if we don't win games, none of us are going to Uh, celebrate the benefits that come with winning, which is, you know, financial attention, whatever, all the the good stuff that comes our way when our team wins. But if you want to be a social media disruptor, be my guest. Um, But 
that, but those two worlds are two different tracks. Uh, secondly, with social media, it's not going away. It's only going to get bigger. It, it's, I have to learn so I can better understand the journey that our players are living so I can impact them off the court so their life can get better off the court. Then, then people want to know, well, man, Frank still yells. Well, yeah, I do yell. I yell when I'm happy. I, anytime I'm competing, I, sorry, I apologize. My bad. I didn't mean to raise my voice and be offensive to anybody. I, you know, it's, it's, it's the craziest thing. I Like ever since when the people at yell become bad people. I, I, some of the most hurtful things I've heard in my life were whispered, were whispered, not yelled. And, and so, you know, with all the yeller, oh my God, what, what a bad human being. He's, he's making people do things by yelling. Oh, poor kids. Are you kidding me? It, it's what a crock of, you know what, but, but at the end of the day, man, I get to know these kids off the court and it's important to me to understand what they need to success managing social media, how they represent themselves on social media, how to utilize it. Like I just spoke to our team yesterday as our first meeting uh, about when, you know, with the NIL world that's just been opened up, man, if you walk into class and you put a hoodie over your head and you got your ear pods in and you sit in the back corner and you're very unsocial and just stay away from me in your class. Well, that kid sitting next to you, his dad or his mom or her or whatever, might be the CEO of some local company and they might have courtside seats. And that kid goes home and says, Hey, Frank Martin, you know, the star player at UMass. Yeah. 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 He's in my class. What a jerk. He he's to himself. You just, you just eliminated one person from being able to open a door financially for you for the rest of your life. And uh, you know, and the same thing with social media, uh, uh, you you have to with the NIL in place. You have to make sure that you control the environments that you're a part of, uh, to not eliminate things, but on the contrary, open up as many doors as you possibly can. Yeah, and I, I think that's huge that you're telling these kids that because obviously, look, Taylor and I, none of us are. We it's not like we have enough experience to know about these things about the smallest little item like the way you, you know you put your head headphones in you put your your hoodie on so that makes sense and speaking of social media last week you were kind enough to retweet our clip talking about you and you mentioned the line quote losing steam so real quick Frank, yeah. i do i do want to preface this by apologizing to kevin sweeney who we had on and who we interviewed last week because i did a very poor job of clipping his response about you he actually did go on to say some awesome things about you talking about the energy that you brought to amherst and how the, how bright the future is and we agree with that i vouch for kevin so i wanted to take full responsibility about that frank <laughs> i don't want him on your shit list uh he is a terrific terrific journalist and he's great but frank is there any part of you that's looking at this upcoming season as maybe a chance to prove any doubters wrong if they're out there or is it just a byproduct of the ultimate goal which is winning games i i i i you cussed so then it's okay for me to cuss i'm in your show if you were in my show I'd cuss and then you'd follow my lead. You cuss, so I'm going to cuss. Please do. Yeah, any doubters out there, they can kiss my ass. I, I don't. I don't work to prove them right or wrong. They, I, I can care less about what they think. They want to. They doubt. Listen, I, the day I got hired at K State, all right, uh, go read the stuff that every media outlet in Kansas City and around the country said. I didn't pay attention to it then. I'm definitely not paying attention to it as a 56-year-old crusty you-know-what anymore. 
I, 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 uh, I, I'm, I'm, I just want to see Kevin and hug him. I'm like, Kevin, I, did I do something wrong to you once upon a time? I mean, yeah, people want to sit around and say, you know, I don't like Frank's offense. Okay. Well, it's the same offense. There was a leading score, leading scoring team in the NCAA tournament at K-State and at South Carolina. So obviously my offense can't be that bad when your team leads the NCAA tournament in scoring. Um, we've got the leading score in the history of uh, South Carolina and the second leading score in the history, excuse me, the leading score in the history of K-State and the second leading score in the history of South Carolina. So obviously my offense can't be that bad. Um, but people want to criticize my decisions, how I sub, I yell, whatever. I get it, man. I have fun, go at it, share your opinion. We all have the right to do that. That doesn't offend me. Um, the only thing that I kind of got a kick out of is anyone that knows me knows. I'm, and, and let me say something. My health was, uh, 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 without sharing too much, uh, was challenged during the COVID year. And, and um, I, I couldn't do my job that year. I tried. And I, I wish, I said this after the season, I wish I could get a do-over. I would have called in sick for the year. Because I, I, you know, as men, we're taught to answer the bell. Answer the bell. That you get up and you answer the bell. And that's what I've been taught my whole life. And I, I, I should have let someone else run the team. I, I couldn't help the team. And, and my health was just compromised. It, um, and, and it's deeper than just having COVID, but I'm not going to elaborate on that right now. But anyone that knows me, man, I, the day I don't have the steam to help young people, you don't have to worry about critics running me out of the business. I'm, let, listen, let me, let, let, let's get back to reality here. I, uh, I've had many jobs, and all you guys have to do, Google my name. and my, I'm an open book. I don't hide who I am and where I come from. Um, uh, as a coach, the players are pissed at you. Your bosses are pissed at you. Uh, your coaches are pissed at you. The parents are pissed at you. Your alums are pissed at you. Everyone's pissed at you. When I bartended, bro, everyone loved me. No one was ever mad at me. So I – so the day that I can't elevate the lives of our players anymore, I'm going back to bartending. I made a lot less money. I had a lot more hair and I was a hell of a lot happier. So it, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 I, the one thing I don't lack esteem, you know, not you, you don't like how I coach or whatever. That's fine, man. It's fair game. I'm, I am who I am and you don't have to agree with who I am. Just like, I don't have to agree with people that are different than me. It's, uh, um, uh, uh but I tell Kevin that please, I just, I need to give him a hug. I, I, he, he, he didn't, he didn't seem happy with me that day. I, no, I need, no, no, no. Kevin was very happy with you. And I, 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 I like I said, I think I did a terrible job, Frank, of a group hug, man. We, we, <laughs> You know, it's, it's, uh, no, nah, I'm just joking. I, I, I just, I've never, heard, yeah, I've never heard that one. I've heard, I've heard all kinds of stuff about me and, and majority of it's not true. And I just laugh. 
I heard him say I ran out of steam. I said, holy cow, that's a new one. I got to I got to I got to make a comment on this. one." Well, so I, like I said, I think I did a really poor job of clipping it because there's a second video underneath that where he goes on to say, you know, I was uh, uh, that was potentially the thought. Obviously, that's wrong. He's been doing an amazing job at UMass. I am not in the business of getting on anyone's shit list, so I certainly don't want to have Kevin on yours. Uh, he's a terrific no. guy. That's all I can say. That the only way people get on my shit list is not by sharing their opinion is if they ever come after my players or my family, I, I, you, you want to get on my, sh- not you as a human <laughs> being, somebody wants to get on my shit list real fast, come after my players or come after my family. And, and that's that, that ain't no coming back from that one. That's an X and that line is drawn and you stay there. I stay here and we're good. Yeah. Um, but you come after me. I, that doesn't hurt my feelings. I, I um, I'm not, I'm not into keeping shit list about Frank Martin. It's uh, um, and, and, and on the contrary, I, I, I know Kevin a little bit and, and he's great. He's great. And uh, I just, I, I was a little, listen, we've recruited some really good players. So that puts me in a really good mood. Uh, we're in a kind of that video. I kind of saw it and we're in a little dead period as coaches. So I didn't have to worry about phone calls. I finally got my family moved up to Amherst. So I was kind of in a really good mood and I hear I had no steam. I said, Oh, I got to engage this guy. I got to, I got to, I got to get this one going. Well, I I appreciate the engagement, but I would uh, definitely encourage you to check out that second portion of the video as well, Frank, whenever you have the time, Hey, we're going to get you out of here on some quick hitters though. This has been amazing. Uh, SEC a 10 now in the a 10 correlation here. Okay. A man that you've gone up against for the past 10 years has also held the exact same spot that you're currently in. Have you had any conversations by chance? I don't know. I don't know your relationship with John Calipari, but have you talked to him about this UMass job at all? Yeah. John's my friend. And uh, uh, he's, he's uh, it's funny. I met him when he was a coach at UMass and, and UMass was rolling and he came down to recruit one of our players in Miami. And, um, and over the last 10 years, uh, the respect that we have for each other's teams and how our teams played, uh, just continued to draw us closer together. And uh, John, John's phenomenal. And he called me, uh, right. I was in the middle of trying to make the decision. And I, he calls me, he says, you're taking the job. I'm like, stop, stop. Don't, I know you can get the information. Stop. Leave me alone. I'm trying to deal with my family. And, um, uh, but now John, John's been great. Uh, he's an ally. He's a friend. He loves UMass. Uh, the fact that Derek Kellogg, is so selfless that he was willing to come back here as an assistant coach and, and help us rebuild this place uh, is only adding to Cal's love for, for what we're trying to do and re you know, reconnecting with the past and uh, uh, and trying to uh, create a new future, uh, but, but building on the past and, and, and getting people excited about everything. Cal's phenomenal. He's a big, big part of UMass basketball. Huge part. Uh, best environment you've coached in? Come on. Hey, hey, Outside come of on. the Final Four, and it can't be South Carolina or Kansas State home game. It's it's not even a, it's not even up for discussion. Uh, old, the old Fog Allen now that that okay. place is ridiculous. It's 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 the only place in America where where the other when when you're the visiting team there when they go on an eight zero run, don't call timeout. Because if you call timeout, their crowd knows the deal. They're sitting like three feet from your bench. They, as soon as you call timeout, because 
KU's on a run. All 18,000 get on their feet, and they absolutely lose their minds as loud as they can. Whoever the, the, the marketing guy at the building is knows the deal during that timeout, turns the volume up on the music as loud as they can. Now, you just wasted a timeout to yell, and no one hears anything you say. Your own players don't hear you. You don't hear them. It's a waste of time. Um, it, it's, uh, uh, I, I think Fog Allen is, is, is absurd. That's why they – I don't know who's got the best home court record in the history of college basketball – but in Bill Self's time there, which is kind of the time I've been in college basketball, I don't think anyone has a better record at home than Kansas does. It's uh, it's absurd uh, what it's like to play in that building. We had Landon Lucas on right after the title game, actually, and he was saying something to that effect. He was like, oh. when you're in there, like we just know we have an advantage, a built-in advantage with these guys. Yeah, yeah. Bill, Bill, you know, when they, they're on a 10-0 run, hell, Bill ain't trying to talk to his guys. He's just trying to clap and say, keep doing it. That, we're trying to communicate, and they, they don't let you. They get so loud, it's unbelievable. A couple more quick hitters. Uh, when I was growing up in Massachusetts, I heard UMass had the best dining hall food in America. Is that still the case? Have you tried the dining hall? Six consecutive years. I don't know which way to go on the camera here so you can see both of my hands. Six straight years, Princeton Review has rated it number one in the country. The, 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 there's eight dining halls on campus. And the amount of food and different foods and the quality of food is off the charts. Uh, the fact that we've, you know, Hadley is the biggest farming community in the state of Massachusetts. The fact that it's, uh, you know, ground the table, uh, you know, from the farms straight to our dining halls. Uh, incredible food. So I take a lot. I know UMass folks take a lot of pride in it. And I can tell you, I need to stay away from there because the amount of food and the quality of food is ridiculous. Heard it's amazing. Yes. Uh, any coaches that remind you of yourself? I I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't sit around and try to figure out who, uh, who I am as a coach. I, I try to figure out who I am as a human being. And uh, um, uh, I don't know. I, I think I've I think I've got a taste of all the the coaches that have been a part of my life. It started with my grandmother, uh, who was the athlete in my in my family. Um, uh, you know, she she was no nonsense. You know, I tell people to this day, uh, if I do wrong, the fear of my grandmother and her broomstick just kind of like just like flash right before my eyes right away uh um you know and then uh, being impacted by a guy named shaky rodriguez who who passed away right uh right when COVID hit uh was was my mentor that was uh uh the, I, you know the guy that without him uh you guys never end up having a conversation with me um uh he he was an incredible man that helped me and anthony grant coach of dayton we we were high school seniors together and uh, he was our mentor. He's the guy. We were his assistant coaches for a long time, and he's the guy that that taught us. And uh, and then you know Rudy Keeling, may may he rest in peace, who passed away, gave me my first college job. And then Ron Everhart, Bob Huggins, Andy Kennedy. I've kind of been able to to, to put my arms around every one of those individuals, and um, uh, you know, and and then as a fan growing up, uh, there were three 
coaches that impacted me when I used to watch television back in the 80s and 90s, and that's Bob Knight, Dean Smith, and Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, those three guys watching them on TV, and then John Thompson, John Chaney, uh, men that I used to watch, and then I ended up having relationships with. Um, uh, th- those are all kind of the people that I think have molded me into whoever I'm destined to become. So kind of going off what you just said, we have several followers of our program here that are high school basketball coaches. And you obviously have a unique perspective of going from multiple high schools to assistant to where you are now. So what's something that you could tell those guys, you know, obviously there's the work hard, all that type of stuff, but is there any specific piece of advice that you could tell those guys to say, Hey, this is what I, you know, really dedicated my life, you know, to is doing this right. And that's what brought me from a high school basketball coach all the way to where you are today. Yeah, don't chase jobs. I, you know, don't chase jobs. When you spend your energy chasing jobs, number one, you don't get the job you're chasing 99% of the time. And number two, you omit the job you're supposed to do. Uh, and uh, uh, because you get deflated that nobody wants to hire you. And so your energies to helping the people that did give you a job kind of go out the window. When you're unemployed, I get it. I understand. You, you got to do what you got to do to go get a job. But when if you're in high school basketball, you, you, you dream of being in college basketball. Um, uh, it's uh, the path is different now than when I was coming through, when I was coming through, you can go up and work all these camps around the country and work campus, you know, different campuses. And uh, you, you, you know, there, there was ways of doing that. Now the path is a little different. And um, uh, some guys, uh, some guys are, are uh, AAU guys, you know, and some guys are high school guys. Well, I used to do both and, and you coach, you know, some high school guys like don't want to do AAU basketball. It's time consuming and you don't make a penny coaching AAU basketball. And some AAU guys don't want to do the high school stuff because you actually got to go teach class and get out of bed and, and do some things. And, and uh, you know, I would do both uh, to, to make yourself uh, as understanding of the grassroots landscape as you can and make yourself available uh, in the eyes of college guys. So that's, that's the, uh, that's, that would be my greatest advice. Do the job you got, man. Cause at the end of the day, when you're in coaching, it's about the young people that are playing for you, make them better. If you can make them better, someone's going to pay attention and possibly give you another job. Very last question for you coach. And then we'll let you go. We do the segment with every single guest that we have on, and you've been so gracious with your time, amazing stories, but we call it bring them up on stage. Is there anyone that you can recommend that we reach out to to get them on theater in college hoops and swap some stories? Uh, any colleagues, coaches, player, former players, anyone that you think? Andy Kennedy. I'm just telling you. He's, you know, I, Bob Hoggins too, but Andy Kennedy. Because um, if you bring hugs, he's only going to give you the stories he wants to give you. AK is going to give you all the stories. So, but AK has an incredible perspective as a player, uh, as you know, the guy that played for Jimmy V and then ended up going to UAB and playing for, uh, for, uh, coach Bartow. Uh, the, the fact that, that, you know, he, think about it, played for Valvano and Gene Bartow worked with Bob Huggins. Just think about that. And now he's an unbelievably successful coach and, um, uh, and, and his relationship with players, the way he managed that year of Cincinnati uh, when, when Coach Huggins was pushed out and he was on an interim basis for the whole year, uh, just an incredible perspective and, and uh, 
and great stories and incredibly smart. I, I, if you can get him, let me know. I'll, I'm going to be with him this weekend. I'll push him your way. I appreciate that, Coach. We'll miss him. We we are already miss him on the calls because he's got the smoothest voice out there, Andy Kennedy. But Coach Frank Martin, thank you so much for coming on to theater in college hoops. This was a true treat, and and it was an honor and a pleasure. Best of luck this upcoming season. Not only will we be watching, we'll be rooting for you. Thank you. And if you do get AK, just make sure you ask him when he was doing television when he referred to a player as Ron Jeremy. Make sure you ask him about that. One. <laughs> <laughs> that's our first question yeah, coach frank perfect. martin thank you so much you got it guys all right we want to thank frank again for jumping on listen to me calling him frank i I, I need to have some respect thank you to coach martin for jumping on to theater and college hoops sharing so many great stories with us hopefully we can get andy kennedy on and ask him about that ron jeremy comment there were so many funny Funny moments, the the snot on the shirt between his mom, his wife, and Darius Rucker, that whole run. And then, of course, you can tell his excitement and 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 just how much he loves UMass. It's pretty obvious. And how much he loves coaching and coaching up men, right? The, the biggest thing that you can get from Frank Martin, I think, is how the wins and losses truly are secondary and preparing these these guys for life uh, after basketball. Some of the stories he was telling us about Michael Beasley and also Jacob Pullen, pretty incredible stuff. Taylor, did you have any big major key takeaways? How, how did you enjoy that? That was pretty cool. No, a hundred percent. I think the, the way that he kept harping on that, it's really success is defined to him by the creation of, you know, functioning members of society, not necessarily about just winning basketball games. I mean, that's why you are a successful head coach. That's why you get hired. Literally. What did he say? He got a phone call like an hour after uh, him in South Carolina. A couple days, I think, but yeah. Yeah. You know, where it's like, like yeah, where it was like, okay, yeah, that's why you, that's how you're able to build those relationships within college basketball, just life in general is, yeah, if something doesn't go your way, you've created all these relationships that someone's there on the phone ready to say, no, man, let's let her fly. Let's, let's, let's do it again. So I thought that was pretty cool. His transition from one job to another, especially because, you know, his two coaching changes in his career, one has been him choosing to leave a job to go to another. And then that same job is obviously not one he he, he chose to leave. Uh, so he's had kind of both experiences in terms of switching schools in college basketball. So I thought both of those kind of uh, juxtapose, uh, you know, with each other. There was pretty interesting to hear about. Really marvelous insight there from Coach Martin. We thank him again. We're rooting for UMass. This might be a UMass podcast. Get over it. Is. it. I'm no, it's sorry. A, it is a Wyoming and UMass podcast for sure. Well, if we're point. also doing assistant coaches, then we got to go Portland as well because of Jeremy yes. Pope. And we also yeah. got to do USC and with the exception when they play Arizona because of yes. Chris Capco. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I mean, that's the first head coach that we've had and what a treat it was. Taylor, let's get out of here on a quick hug. That's a hug for you, my friend. You're getting married in a week's time. How are you feeling? Feel good. Uh, I feel ready to build a program. So let's let's put it that way. So. Not bad. Not bad. Let's get on out of here one more time. Thank you again to Coach Martin. Uh, thank you for listening. UMass fans, I hope you're jacked up. We are, and we didn't even go there. But thank you all again for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. Sit around and play Gonna hit balls off the dock
kick back in my flip-flops Don't owe nothing to the lender Nothing spinning in the blender The only thing on my agenda Is beers and sunshine Bonfires in summertime Backpush nights in South Carolina Ain't nothing finer than me And my girls dragging up a little lighter Cause everybody's down in a world all crazy Don't know how to fix it but I think maybe Turn on the good times, turn off the TV Yeah, the only BS I need Is beers and sunshine Let's get our friends and hit the lake Grab a boat and get to floating A little buzz and a little toasted We're gonna hang and have a little fun now Flying high like we'll never come down We're gonna go until we run out Our beers and sunshine Our bonfires in summertime Back porch nights in South Carolina Ain't nothing finer than me and my girls talking up a little Everybody's down in a world gone crazy Don't know how to fix it, but I think maybe Turn on the good times, turn off the TV They're the only BS I need Is beers and sunshine Time, time, time.